I invite you to take your Bibles or take the Bible in the pew in front of you or look at the scriptures on the screen or just listen. (laughs) We're reading from Matthew, the first chapter and starting with the 18th verse. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his Mary mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Good morning, everybody. So good to be with you again. My name is Doug Paybody, and I'm the pastor of Soul Care here at College Park Church. If you ask Pastor Mark, emphasis on the word soul. But I want to greet those of you who are joining us from Worship 2 and from College Park Columbus. And it is a joy to be worshiping together. And we have entered the presence of the Lord already, haven't we? Wow. Years ago, um, when my kids were small, I found a book that um, gave you the meanings of names. And, and I thought it was really fascinating, so I started to go through the names of my family members. Um, Joanne, my wife, that means gift from God. And uh, Anna means a gracious one. Uh, Laura means um, the laurel wreath, the, the victor's crown. Uh, Michael means godly one. And Aaron, uh, our daughter, comes from the Greek word Irene, which means peace. Oh, this is, this is really exciting. And then you come to my name, Doug, and it means born in a dark place. It's true. It explains a lot, doesn't it? And, but, but, but then I thought, well, okay, that's my testimony, though, right? I was born in a dark place, but I, I, I've been translated to a kingdom of light, hallelujah, through the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. And that's the name I want you to remember today. I, I want you to know what, what uh, Jesus means and uh, We've already been introduced to that, so I'd invite you back to Matthew uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 18.
Who is Jesus and why did he come? Our passage this morning clearly answers those two, two most crucial of questions. And beloved, make no mistake, they are questions that are a matter of eternal life and death. Last Sunday, we looked at the human lineage of Jesus in the first 17 verses of Matthew 1. He is a descendant of Abraham and King David through Joseph, the legal human guardian of Jesus. Matthew now tells us something most extraordinary. Jesus not only descended from David, but from God himself. This morning we turn to the dramatic story of his divine lineage. And the context of that story is a crisis pregnancy. Look with me at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, it might be helpful to have just a brief explanation of Jewish marriage customs of the day. First, there was the betrothal period. Parents of a young man would choose a young woman to be engaged to their son. The young man would typically be about 18 years old, but it was not at all unusual for the young woman to be 12 or 13 when pledged in marriage. A binding contract was drawn up between the families that could only be broken by a formal divorce. So engagement in that day was far more serious and far more binding than it is in our American culture. The betrothed are referred to as husband and wife, but they do not yet live together and they do not yet have sexual relations. Now, sexual unfaithfulness during the betrothal period was considered adultery. Now, at this time, the mahar or the bride price is paid by the groom to the bride's father. Now, in part, that money was used to help, for the, help pay for the wedding festivities, which could last up to seven days. Now, those of us with grown daughters, how would you like to pay for that reception? Okay. But the rest of the money was used as a kind of insurance in case the groom died or decided to divorce the bride. Then she had some money uh, to live on. Then after a period between six months and a year, there was the wedding ceremony the groom leads a procession to the bride's family. The trumpet sound is blasted. The bride and her bridesmaids then join the procession and they make their way to the groom's house where the wedding supper is held. And then shortly after that, in a specially prepared chamber, the wedding is consummated. Now, it was during the betrothal period, before Joseph and Mary had had sexual relations, that Joseph discovered that his beloved Mary was pregnant. Matthew tells us right away that Mary hadn't cheated on Joseph. This was the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God. Just as the Father, Son, and Spirit had been active in the creation of the world, they are now active in presenting the Savior of the world. 
But Joseph doesn't yet understand what we know. And so he naturally comes to the devastating conclusion that Mary is not the woman he thought she was, and that she has been unfaithful. But I want you to see, as you look at verse 19, that this pain and, and, and trauma and turmoil reveals to us a husband's heart. Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, I wonder why God didn't just tell Joseph ahead of time what was going on. It would have saved him a lot of pain and turmoil, wouldn't it? Hey, but that isn't how God usually works, right? We learn in the Job series to not focus on the why question in our trials, but the good. That's right, the who. The pain of betrayal, or what Joseph thought was betrayal, revealed the kind of man Joseph really was. How wrong! How could I have been so wrong about Mary, Joseph must have wondered. She's the last person I would have suspected of adultery. And, and then imagine if Mary offers as her defense that God did this, right? God did a miracle in me. And so now I'd be thinking, oh, it is worse than I thought. She's not only acting like a harlot, she's a blasphemer. But the pain uncovers a heart of mercy. The Bible says he was unwilling to put her to shame. He would not disgrace her through a public divorce. So he determined to handle the matter privately and quietly. In last week's message, Pastor Mark mentioned Tamar in the human lineage of Jesus, who was also in a crisis pregnancy. And when her father-in-law Judah heard that Tamar was pregnant out of wedlock, he cried, bring her out and let her be burned. Listen, crisis doesn't make a person. It reveals a person. When you drop a teabag in boiling hot water, it brings out of the teabag only what was in the teabag to begin with. Let me ask you, beloved, what is squeezed out of your heart when you believe you have been betrayed? Do you respond more like Joseph or Judah? Do you act in meekness toward those who have shamed you? Do you give them the benefit of the doubt and think as well of them as possible, believing that, well, maybe it's better than what it appears to be? Do you hurry to expose them publicly or mercifully cover their shame as you are able? In any event, do you acknowledge that God is somehow working it together for good? Well, in Joseph's case, he actually is given an explanation by the Lord, and it is through the angel of the Lord. Look with me at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
God directly communicates with Joseph through an angelic messenger. Now, God had done this many times before. He had used angels in dreams to communicate his word. The angel of the Lord, notice, as you look at verse 20, helps Joseph to remember his identity. Joseph, you're the son of David. Addresses his fear to take Mary as his wife. And then reveals how God is at work behind the scenes. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now be encouraged this morning. Did you know the scriptures do exactly the same thing? Think about it. They remind you of your identity in Christ, who you are and whose you are. They speak directly to your fears. And then they cause your fears to bow the knee in faith as you see that God is sovereignly working behind the scenes to accomplish his plans and his purposes in your life and in this world, even through the midst of life's pain. God reveals to Joseph what he needs to know and when he needs to know it. And listen, God doesn't owe us an explanation. That's true. But he has always revealed to his people what is necessary to know and accomplish his will. That's certainly true today. The Holy Spirit of God takes the God-breathed word of God to reveal to the child of God the good and perfect will of God, accomplished always in the power of God and all for the glory of God. I better say that one more time. All right. The Holy Spirit of God takes the God-breathed word of God to reveal to the child of God the good and perfect will of God always accomplished in the power of God and all for the glory of God. That's what your God has done for you. Now, why was it necessary for Jesus to be conceived this way? It was the only way for Jesus to fully partake of our human nature and yet escape the corruption, pollution, depravity, and ruin of sin. Jesus Christ conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, is fully God and fully man. As Paul said to the Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. How is a sinful person justified, declared righteous, as we learned about on Easter Sunday, by a holy God, only through one who can mediate between God and man, and that is, and only is, Christ Jesus the Lord. He is the one. Now, as the angel is talking, he announces Jesus' mission so that there is no doubt about why Jesus came. And look with me at verse 21. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As we've already learned, the name Jesus is very significant. By the way, it's it's a tremendously interesting study in Scripture to discover the meanings of people's names. 
that was very customary in Jewish culture to give a name with a significant meaning that may have spoken about the circumstances of the child's birth or cast some vision for what was hoped to be accomplished in and through the life of the child or some some characteristic about the child. And it is no different with, with Jesus. It is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. In the long form, Yahashua, it means Yahweh is salvation, and we properly translate it, the Lord is salvation. The short form, Yeshua, it means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. Now, you may be familiar familiar with two prominent Joshuas in the Old Testament, both of which were considered types of Christ in the New Testament. First of all, there was the successor of Moses, the Joshua who led the people of God into the promised land. But then there is Joshua the high priest, a contemporary of Zerubbabel, who rebuilds the temple. Now, Jesus marries Joshua is the greatest of all. He will bring the salvation promised by God throughout the Old Testament. But here's my question to you this morning. From what will Jesus save his people? The Jews waited for centuries for their Messiah to come and to save them from their enemies, to restore their economic prosperity, their political sovereignty, their military supremacy. They longed for Messiah to cleanse their land of defilement and reign in righteousness and restore justice. There was no expectation that Messiah, the one who would sit on David's throne, would give his own life as a ransom. After all, kings take the lives of their enemies, not redeem them, right? And even more shocking and scandalous, this king would redeem his sinful people by hanging naked and mutilated on a Roman cross. It was more than a Jewish mind could bear. What would require such a sacrifice of God's Son in human flesh? Our sin. This is the burden of my heart this morning as one of your pastors. It is that you understand clearly that Jesus came to save us from our sins. People want to be saved from many things. From poverty, from disease, from divorce, from pain, shame, failure, and death. And they want God to save them. But many, even in good churches, do not understand that their greatest need is to be saved from sin. Every person born into this world, every person descended from Adam and Eve is born into this world S-I-N positive. And the condition is terminal, 100% of the time. There is no human cure. There is no human hope until the one fully God and fully human came, our Lord Jesus Christ. But I've discovered, as perhaps you have, that 
people want to be saved from the consequences of their sin, but not from their sins. They want to be saved in their sins, but not from their sins. Christ purchased for his people freedom, but not freedom to sin, but freedom from sins. Maybe this illustration will help. When I was about eight years old, I was swimming in beautiful Lake Chautauqua in western New York State. I suddenly realized that I had drifted too far from the dock and I could no longer touch bottom. Well, I panicked. And soon I was too exhausted to swim back, and down I was going into the lake. I called on the name of my Aunt Sally to save me. (laughs) She is an excellent swimmer, and she did save me. (laughs) Well, how did she do it? Well, she didn't leave me in the lake with a snorkel or scuba gear. Um, Saving me was more than helping me to breathe a while longer in the lake. It was getting me out of the lake. I was tired of the lake. I was done with the lake. I hated the lake. Get me out of the lake. (laughs) I didn't just want to be saved in the lake. I wanted to be saved from the lake. I wanted to be sanctified, so to speak, set apart from the lake, from the lake, and to my family, who was at the time enjoying lunch on the beach while I'm sucking lake water. (laughs) Many people, listen, many people want a spiritual snorkel to be saved from drowning in their sin, but they want to stay in the lake. They want to continue in sin. That is not the message of the gospel. Beloved, first, Christ saves us from the guilt of sin by the merit of his death on the cross. But hallelujah, Christ saves us from the power and dominion of sins by the merit of his resurrection. Many people only want the first half of the gospel. Salvation from the penalty of sin, but not from the power of sin. Don't say you're saved from drowning if you're lying at the bottom of the lake. And don't say you're saved from sin and still be lying in your sins unchanged. In essence, we need to be saved from ourselves. The Jews thought Messiah would come to save from enemies without. Jesus came to save us from our greatest threat, our sin within. Sin is basically this. It's saying... I want to be my own king. I want to live as I see fit. I don't want to bow to God's rule. And listen, even though Joseph was a righteous man, a just man, he was still a sinner. He still needed to trust Christ as his Savior. He needed to trust Christ to save him from his sin. You know, there may be somebody at church this morning, and maybe you're living a life of not just sin, but maybe notorious sin. Maybe the kind of sin that even makes sinners blush. You've dishonored God and you've hurt many people in your life. You're sucking lake water by the gallon. I have hope. Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. And yet there may be others who are here today and you may be respectable, admired, generous, loved by many maybe even a church member. 
But you're still a sinner who needs to be saved. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and away from God. And our way is always the way of death. And sometimes we get confused because sometimes death doesn't seem like death. I mean, we get battlefield death. We get step on a landmine and get blown to pieces covered with blood kind of death. But then... But then there's funeral parlor death. There's my best suit on the cadaver death. There's embalming and makeup kind of death. In fact, I've done many, many funerals through the years. And in recent years, I've I've told the directors, I said, pity the day when the deceased looks better than the preacher who's doing the service. I mean, they are true artists. And you've been to funerals of this. Doesn't he look so good? Doesn't she? I think she could just sit up. And just say something right now, which would totally freak out the house. But, but right, because, but, but listen, that's what happens in the, in, in the spiritual realm. We forget that whether it's battlefield death or funeral house death, it's still what? Yeah. It's still death. You're just as dead. And so it is for the sinner. You may be battlefield blown to pieces, sinner. You may be funeral parlor, sinner. You're just as dead and you need Christ. And bless the Lord. He, our Father, laid on Him, His Son, the iniquity of us all. Well, I want you to see in verse 22 that not only should this gospel message have not been a scandal, to the Jews, it shouldn't have even been a surprise. God has been revealing from the beginning of human history that the seed of the woman would defeat sin and death. Throughout the history of the nation, God had been shouting to his people through the prophets that Jesus was coming. But just like the Jews, We, the Gentiles, just like them, pulled down the shade and closed the curtains and did not want to be bothered with the facts. But I want you to see this beautiful prophecy fulfilled. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Do you know this morning that salvation was the plan of God even before the foundations of the world were laid? Did you know that in eternity past, the Son offered Himself to redeem people even before there were people? This was always God's plan A. This was not an afterthought. All of the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of Christ. The birth of Christ fulfilled a prophecy given through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Christ was born. Now notice this phrase. Look at verse 22 again. What the Lord had spoken by the prophet. That phrase gives a beautiful definition for the inspiration of the Scripture. It is the Word of God revealed through human instruments, in this case the prophet Isaiah. God used the individual personalities, vocabularies, writing styles and experiences of human authors 
to reveal his word. The word of God, beloved, is completely trustworthy, has divine authority, and today still has power to change you if you will believe and obey. Beloved, as I said, the coming of Christ into the world was not an afterthought. The truths and events of the New Testament are fulfillments of what God had spoken of through the many centuries of Old Testament history, even though that revelation was veiled, even though the prophets themselves may not have understood all of the long-range implications of the very prophecy that they were giving. But don't miss this point. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. As Pastor Corey Johnson was on Easter Sunday speaking at Kids Church, he was going through Luke 24 and talked about Jesus talking to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus said this, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You say that again. In all the scriptures, all of the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. That's Luke 24, 25 through 27. Later, Jesus said to these same disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, okay, law of Moses, prophets, and Psalms, those are the three uh, divisions of the Old Testament scriptures, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Oh, that's what we need this morning, beloved, for God, the Holy Spirit, to open our minds that we might understand the scriptures. There are those in my hearing this morning, and and still the, the shade is pulled the, the blinds have been drawn and the ears are stopped and, and you've, you've, you've heard the gospel, but the Spirit needs to open your mind that you might understand the Scriptures and call on Him who gave Himself for you. And in this prophecy, beloved, I want you to see the beautiful, loving heart of our God. We've already seen a husband's heart revealed, but I want you to see God's heart revealed in verse 23. Look at it with me. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This sign was actually given to Ahaz, the king of the southern tribes, the king of Judah. An alliance was formed against him from two other kings. Isaiah the prophet admonishes Ahaz to trust God for deliverance and to ask God for a sign that he would indeed deliver. But sadly, Ahaz was a wicked man. He ignored the word of the Lord, and he refused the sign. 
He didn't need God's help, he thought. So he formed his own alliance with another king, a pagan king, but to his own destruction. Listen, the warning to Ahaz is the same warning to people today. Don't put your trust in yourself. Only God can save you from judgment and sin. Salvation is not a do-it-yourself work. You will not go to Lowe's or Menards and find a kit with which you can accomplish your own salvation. In fact, it is so big a job that God came all the way from heaven to accomplish it. He didn't send a representative. He came himself. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. But it only gets better. See the heart of God revealed in saving us from our sins. It was not enough to save us from the penalty of our sins and the power of our sins. God came to save us from the presence even of our sins one day. Listen, from the creation, what kind of a relationship did Adam and Eve have with God? They, they walked together. They talked together. It was face to face. It was that intimate. But sin brought about death and a separation between man and woman and God. And yet God continued to seek man's redemption. He provided the temple, the tabernacle and the temple that his people might be in the presence of God, even if it was just the high priest on the Day of Atonement. The heart of God has always longed for His people to enter the perfect love and unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. He wants to be with us. He wants us to be with Him. Remember the near drowning story? Again, Aunt Sally, praise the Lord, didn't throw me scuba tank, keep me breathing. And, and, and she could have saved me from the power of, of not, just, not, not, not just the penalty of the lake, so to speak, death. She could have delivered me from the power of the lake by putting me on some offshore platform where the current wouldn't take me out. She could have done that, but she didn't. I'll tell you what she did. She put herself between me and death. That's what she did. She carried me to another place entirely, a place of safety a place of family, a place of refreshment, a place of rest, a place of love. That's what God longs for, for his people. That's the gospel. That's the good news of our salvation. In the book of Revelation, John describes what it will be like to live with God, free from the presence of sin. John said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. I love how Matthew Henry said it. He said, in creation, we see God as God above us. In the law, we see God as God against us. But in the gospel, we see God as Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that good?
Well, look at verses 24 and 25 and notice with me a saved life demonstrated. The Bible says when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Oh, listen, Joseph's a great example of what a saved life looks like. Saved life is not a perfect life. If you've been coming to College Park very long you and you're getting to know us, you know that a saved life is not a perfect life. Kimber said for years, remember, the church is a hospital for sinners. And we're all checked in. Okay? No discharges this side of heaven. Okay? We must confess and turn from sin daily as we grow in Christ-likeness. Repentance is a lifestyle. Freedom from the power of sin is a lifelong process of growth and change. But the saved life, while not perfect this side of heaven, will always be marked by two things we see in Joseph's life. Trust and obedience. Think about it. Joseph must have believed what the Lord said about Jesus because he immediately obeyed the command of the Lord. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Believing the word of the Lord and obeying it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I surrender the throne of my heart to the one who alone is worthy to reign and rule there, King Jesus. Sin says, not thy will, mine be done. The saved life says, not my will, but thine be done. And then perhaps you've never considered before that while Joseph no doubt felt relief and joy because now he knew the truth about Mary and the child within her, he now had the opportunity as a believer in Jesus to suffer for his name. Think about it. Joseph, in taking Mary as his wife, would now take on her shame. People would soon figure out that this baby was conceived during the betrothal period. Joseph's reputation would be tarnished, even though God knew he was righteous. He would himself be a picture of Jesus, taking on the accusation of sin, though he was innocent of the charge. He'd be a living illustration of what Jesus would do for us in saving us from our sins. You see, a counterfeit believer falls away when asked to suffer for Christ. A genuine believer rejoices that he is counted worthy to suffer for his name. So, beloved, what should we do with this wonderful, glorious passage? Jesus came to save his people from their sins. I'm wondering if somebody sitting here in the 930 service in this auditorium or in worship two or in Columbus, I wonder if God the Holy Spirit has opened your mind to understand the Scriptures. We've been praying fervently for that. I'm wondering if for somebody, their ears have been unstopped, their eyes have been open, and they understand, I am a sinner, and I am guilty, 
and I'm on a path of death. Do you long to be saved from the penalty, the power, and one day the presence of your sins? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. I'm going to ask you to stand right now, and I'm going to ask you to to, to help me, if you would, if you would all stand. I'm going to... What I want to do is make it easy for people to be helped this morning, who the Spirit may be working with. So if you are one of our Ministry of Hope uh, counselors, would you come right now, please, to the front? There are people here that are ready to, to open the Scripture and to gently and lovingly lead you to Jesus today. They have on their lapel a, a College Park logo and they're here to serve you, to help you. And I'm going to ask if, if God has spoken to you that you need Jesus Christ today to, to just step out right now and come and talk to one of these folks. Did you do that right now? We don't do this very often. And I ask you to slip out. We've been praying for you, even though we don't know who you are yet. We've been praying. And I've asked God to give us one person in each service. And then, believer, what is your application from today? I want to ask, is your life marked by a robust belief in Christ? As you anxiously obey His Word, are you growing in His likeness? Are you a faithful ambassador of King Jesus? Is there a relationship or situation where you have been ashamed to suffer for his name? Come to Jesus this morning. Repent of your self-serving, self-promoting, self-gratifying, self-advancing, self-justifying ways. Rejoice anew that Christ has come to save you from your sins. Let's pray together. Blessed, beautiful, precious Lord Jesus, the name above every name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And Lord, I pray that as the word has gone forth, that Lord, you will call somebody to your saving self. That this will be the day somebody, Lord caught in the lake of sin and guilt and drowning, will find a holy God has made a way for that sinner to be a son. Lord, we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, beloved.